what Berlin says is true. That we, even if we have been involved in speaking numerous times, many times in the past, you still kind of wonder, am I going to say it right? Uh, is it going to get through? Is it really effective? Is it going to hit where it, uh, where it hurts or where it heals? would be a better way of saying it. So um, keep praying for uh, Berlin and I as we uh, share in these different sessions that God can use what we talk about to, to bring growth. I'm wondering this morning, what's the first thing that comes to your mind when you hear the word idols? Buddha. Buddha. Big statue. Big statue. Okay. Okay. Normal things. So, do minnows have idols? They do. Normal things. Okay. What comes to your mind when you hear the word imps? A small demon? <laughs> None of those around here. <clears throat> Idols and imps. <clears throat> um, as one of you mentioned, Thailand is filled with idols. Um, the whole country is immersed in, in uh, a very flagrant form of idolatry. Um, you have Buddha, as is characterized <clears throat> by an obese man sitting with his stomach uh, exposed and <clears throat> using made out of gold, sitting there <clears throat> cross-legged. And literally millions of people in that country go bow down in front of him of that idol and um, as their prayers they have incense leave coins and so forth daily <clears throat> in front of these these things so when we think of idols um, it's easy for us to kind of get that connotation and think well, you know America really doesn't doesn't have that kind of thing. Um, and taking that particular paradigm, maybe we think that we don't have any trouble with it. You know, Israel, as you read through the Old Testament, Israel had a consistent problem with idolatry right from the time that they separated from Judah by the work of Rehoboam all the way through their history. Israel uh, was was guilty of idolatry and, and Baal worship and so forth. They vacillated a little bit, but they really never came back to a clear, clean um, worship of God. Judah, though, bounced back and forth a bit. They had uh, the king that uh, we talked about yesterday, um, Asa, or was that Sunday? That was Sunday, I guess. Sunday in, in Sunday school. Um, Asa, there was some revival there, 
Um, but the high places were not taken away, and, and so they fell back into to idolatry. And then there was uh, Josiah. Uh, was Josiah before Hezekiah? I'm not exactly sure on the, the sequence there. But Josiah had a, a tremendous revival and got rid of all the high places, got rid of everything, and went back to the worship of God. Hezekiah was um, um, another one. They kind of vacillated back and forth. So today we'd like to, to talk about the one aspect, idols. Tomorrow we'll talk about the imps. Um, and <clears throat> jo- uh, Jonah, one of the most significant verses in the book of Jonah to me is, is chapter 2, verse 8, where it says, Those who cling to worthless idols forfeit the grace that could be theirs. So we don't want to cling to, to idols. We want to be uh, completely free of idolatry. All right, let's stand together and let's uh, say our verse again of how God cleanses us in um, the whole area of sanctification. All right, together. How much more then will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself unblemished to God, Cleanse our consciences from acts that lead to death, so that we may serve the living God. In Hebrews 9.14. Good, good. All right. Let's, shine, let's uh, sing this song again. Um, <clears throat> I know some of you sopranos are, are still learning it. Don't feel um, too intimidated. Just sing out. <clears throat> Even if we don't get it quite right, we'll learn it by the end of the week. <clears throat> Change my heart, O oh God, make it ever true. Change my heart, O oh God, may I be like you. You are the Change my heart, oh God, 
Father, that's our prayer, that as we walk with you through experiences of joy and sorrow, of the blessings and curses of life, that you would guide us to not make idols or see these things as imps in, in uh, the way that we handle the things that you send our way. So guide us as we share together again this morning for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. May be seated. <clears throat> Idols and hardness. Just a little bit of a um, uh, introductory. Yes. First slide. There you go. Um, that was Israel's struggle. The uh, idol of the um, the calf, and they're bringing their their money and their their uh, honor to the calf. Uh, of course, Baal worship was was a picture of a of a um, a big animal that had its stomach open and or its mouth open, and they'd throw their babies into the burning fire of, that was kindled underneath the offering, and so that became a very vicious form of uh, idolatry. Um, but Israel started out with Moses when Moses was gone, Aaron making the calf there. So that's what the artist is trying to um, depict. Did you have a thought on that? Anything you want to add to that? Okay. All right. Let's go here. How many of you have been in the ACE school? All right. This is AC. Uh, he's been remanufactured just a little bit. Uh, he's, he's going one direction and fleeing, uh, going after something and fleeing from something. These are the, the picture that I get of the way that most people in life and all of us before we were born again are like AC. We're being run by two big things, what we're running after and what we're running away from. And so we're in this thing, we're running this way while we're scared of that. Life is depicted by the things we run from and the things we run toward. The idols are the things we run toward. We don't think of it that way, maybe as you think of that uh, Buddha or something, we're not running toward that, but it's something that brings reward. It's something that brings blessing, something that we we look forward to, and and we want to repeat, and we want this thing to keep performing for us, and so idols are on that side. It's what we run after. Um, oh, I should be giving you some some papers here. Sorry about that. I do this in class all the time. Too. About three uh, third of the way through the class, and then I remember I got paper. Could I have another fellow, somebody else? Would yeah, there's two pages. <laughs> two pages. Uh, so I'll let you quickly. Everybody gets one of each. Yes. <clears throat> I hope we have enough. We're just kind of guessing at how many people are here from day to day. It changes a little bit. So. Um, Sammy, why don't you get the half of his and come over here and and um, speed it up just a little bit. 
The second page has just got uh, printing on one side, uh, just to kind of finish up what we're going to talk about a little bit later. <coughs> All right, while they're passing out those papers, uh, you, on the front side of the first page, you have this, um, this contrast that we're talking about, the idols, which are what we run after. And the scripture would give us three definitions at least, maybe there's more, but at least three definitions to what those idols are like. It's the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. You've got to maybe fill in a couple words there. That it comes from um, scripture verse that we'll get to in just a little bit. And these experiences are, are in contrast to the imps of life that which we run away from on the opposite side. And again, I think there's at least three ways of depicting the, uh, the things we run away from or the ways that we do run. And there might be more. I'm just going to use these three. One of them is fear. We fear things. The things we fear, we run away from. We hide, like Adam and Eve did after they had sinned. So, uh, fear... Second thing is bitterness. I'm not going to let that happen to me again. She's not going to do that to me again, or whatever. Bitterness. And the last one is apathy. Just go and, and get myself away from people, get myself away from events, sit in my own little closet. Those are at least some expressions of the, the imp, the ones that we run away from. The idols are what we create in our Eden. Everything is beautiful. Everything is nice. Everything is just the way we want it. All our needs are taken care of. It's a place of shalom. Anybody that didn't get both papers? Okay. It's a place of shalom. A place of peace and joy and happiness. The imps come from our Gethsemanes. It's where it's a season of sorrow. And so when you experience a Gethsemane, you don't want to go back there. That's not a, a pleasant place to be at. <clears throat> the Eden, moments of shalom, Gethsemane, seasons of, of sorrow. <clears throat> when we are kept from our idols, when somebody blocks us from experiencing our idols... We, in, in our unredeemed places of, of our own heart, but in our culture at large, we assault. We, we go on the offense. We assault those who take away our idols. We gossip about them. We slander them. We may abuse them. We're aggressive in our, in our idolatry, generally. Uh, we may take it to litigation. We're going to go sue them. At court, if they attack my idol, um, in the worst forms, it goes to murder. Um, when we are um, facing hard things, <clears throat> then we tend to either go to denial. It didn't happen. It wasn't that bad, or whatever. Denial, uh, which we denial is usually expressed in lies, or. Um, uh, deception, retreat, or we we 
flight. That's that is retreat. We divorce. We quit the job. We change the church. Go to another church or something. Um, or in escape, we might be suicidal to the ultimate escape from reality. So these things really push us one way or the other. Um, and unless we can see God behind what's going on, we're going to be tempted to either idolize that thing or to, to see it as, a, as an imp, as a demon. Life is random, right? Pleasure and, and pain are random. Right? No. No. Why are you saying no, Dawson? Not with the Lord Jesus. Not with the Lord Jesus. That's exactly right. Life has pain and has pleasure, but it is carefully constructed. It's a, a, um, a constructed course by God of joys and sorrows so that we will become like the Lord Jesus Christ. It's not random. It's not something that happens by, by accident. It's something very carefully con, uh, constructed, course of joys and sorrows that's designed and orchestrated by a loving, wise, sovereign God. I'm going to talk more about that on Friday. That to me is so important for us to understand. So you better stay around on Friday. Okay, don't leave tomorrow or Thursday or whenever. God does take us through a carefully constructed course. You know, <clears throat> as I look back in, in the the blessings, the joys, the Gethsemanes, I mean, I'm sorry, the Edens of my family experience with my children, Focus was definitely one of them. It was a place that my children always looked forward to coming to. We wouldn't have been able to miss it uh, as a family. We'd usually get here on Saturday like the, the um, administration does now and um, then we would attend church with with the um, staff from Storybook and then get ready for you all to come on Sunday afternoon and it was I, I still couldn't remember the excitement that my children would have as we would anticipate all the people coming it was just it was a highlight it was a, an Eden and it continues to be an Eden in the year 2000, we were able to to take about a seven-week, about a two-month trip <clears throat> going out to the West Coast and then over to um, Thailand and to China. And again, as I recall, the excitement of our family and seeing things we'd never seen before and being in a country we'd never been before and all of that, it was just, it wasn't Eden. It was just a, a real blessing and uh, working with young people throughout the last close to 40 years now um, at SMBI. First of all, I go more recently. Eden, Eden, Eden. I just want to repeat that. I just want to keep doing that. I want to keep going back to that. But life isn't always full of Edens. Life has Gethsemanes. And <clears throat> we tend to think that we grow in the Edens and we fall backwards in the Gethsemanes. I would like to suggest that it's just as dangerous in the Eden as it is in the Gethsemanes. 
Satan has an agenda for the Edens, <coughs> just like he has an agenda for the Gethsemanes. <coughs> I'll probably never forget, as long as I live, the wail of pain as I had to call my children and tell them that their mother had died. It's a Gethsemane. It's the kind of thing that you don't ever want to repeat. You don't want your, anyone to have to repeat it. Even your enemies, you don't want them to have to repeat that or to experience that. God knows what you need, what I need, when it comes to these two things. But Satan also wants to make idols out of the one and wants to make imps out of the other. <clears throat> and so, Da Vinci tried to um, depict that with his art of joining together both pleasure and pain <clears throat> and, and having the same trunk, but they're two different expressions that come. And Ron Dunn was the one who said, good and bad run down parallel tracks and usually arrive about the same time. And there's just been a lot of uh, truth in that. One thing I'd like to just underscore in this whole thing is that the word that describes Satan is control. I want to control my life, the events of my life. I want to be in charge of my life. That's what he was offering to Adam and Eve back there in the first temptation. The word that describes God is mystery. We don't know what's coming next. We have to trust the one who's in charge as to what's coming next. So, let's talk about idols of the heart, <clears throat> and we're going to focus more on that today. Um, <clears throat> just in, in my own experience, as a young person, <clears throat> grew up in a, a little um, missionary setting here in northern Minnesota, and it was the ends of the earth for my dad and mom to come up here. It's not the ends of the earth for any of you. You grew up here, or most of you did. Uh, or somewhere close by. But for them, <clears throat> driving 800 miles from northern Indiana to Kitchy, Dad was in this uh, uh, Model A that had just had the motor rebuilt, and so they were told you can't go more than 30 miles an hour uh, while you're driving up there. So they drove all the way from Middlebury, Indiana to uh, Loman, Minnesota, at 30 miles an hour. Um, took them... I don't know how long it took him. I know it cost him $10 in gas. Um, but he was definitely going to the ends of the earth as far as his community was concerned. I mean, nobody uh, from their church had ever gone that far away. Um, and who was it? Was the last evening was talking about how young people go to the opposite side of the world now uh, with just a drop of a hat almost. Uh, but in those days, that was the ends of the earth. <clears throat> so I grew up in, in that setting. Well, anyway, um, as a young child, young, um, actually as I became a teenager, uh, our, our church had four of us that would sing as a, as a quartet. <clears throat> my brother and my sister, and um, Theodor Hosteller, those of you that know, it's Theodor Yoder now, um, we would sing. And that's good. There's nothing wrong with that. But something can happen when we are called upon to do that that 
can be a, a negative thing. And it was to some degree for me. I was in a position of being able to sing and um, in a special group. So you're up there in front and you're singing to the, <clears throat> to the church and everybody says, oh, that was good. That was great. Oh, we're glad you're singing. And then they'd invite us to do it again. Later on, <clears throat> um, being one of the first young people that was old enough, my folks were... Dad was 22 when he got married. Mom was 20, and, and they got they started the mission at that same year. So I'm one of the first young people to to actually emerge in the in the church uh, later on. And so I was asked to be the song leader. Well, I learned how to beat music, you know, and and blow the uh, get the right pitch. And um, again, it, it fostered something in me. I, you know, I'm getting good at this. Uh, people are asking me to do it. And we go to youth rallies, and they would ask me to do it there, and it kind of spread around. Then went into service, went back to Rosedale, and the epitome of being on a musical thing was to get on the Rosedale Corral. You know, I just uh, that was to me was the highest form of Mennonite music that could be attained. So I tried out for the, for the chorale, and <clears throat> lo and behold, I was able to get on. Now, I'm still convinced to this day that the reason I got on was because my dad was one of the teachers. So, <clears throat> yeah, I can't actually prove that, but um, <clears throat> I got on the chorale. <clears throat> yeah. Um, probably not too many of you know which one is me. Okay, I got it now. <laughs> Wonderful experiences. They were all offerings, though, to something that was happening in my heart in the area of idolatry. Making an idol out of the blessing. The Eden of these experiences. You know, I have to confess to you that even yet today, 50-some years later, I still wrestle with trying to focus on the message of these songs. It's so easy for me to flip to trying to make sure I've got every note right. It was an idol that had been served way back at the beginning, and it still affects our walk today. <clears throat> Becoming absorbed with performance. Those weren't the only idols popularity, leadership, sensuality. We just want more and more and more. More opportunities for this particular blessing to be experienced. <clears throat> Ravi Zacharias, in his book, Recapturing the Wonder, says this, By filling the imagination with so many possibilities, we kill the very delight each one was intended to bring. We really make a two-pronged mistake in getting so much, limiting the thrill of each. The first is the assumption that we can handle abundance. The second, that boredom is cured by the possibility of more options. End of quote. Why is it that a Haitian child can have a forked uh, branch and an old wheel that came off of something that's no longer working and spend all day pushing that thing down the paths and having fun uh, running that particular wheel with his branch off of a tree someplace 
while many of our American children can sit in a place where they've got uh, Legos and, uh, and, and all these different toys and they're bored stiff and they don't know what to play with. The abundance and Eden make idols if we don't see them as God wants us to see them. It was not pain that caused Lucifer to fall. <clears throat> Lucifer fell because he was, or he was in an in, uh, environment that was incredible. If you read in, in Ezekiel 28 of what his appearance was like, it almost gives you the impression that the gems and jewels and precious stones were embedded in his body before his fall. A glorious, wonderful archangel um, that probably led the singing, led the worship, led the, the angels in, in worship before his fall. And the, it says, Thine heart was lifted up because of thy beauty. Thou hast corrupted by wisdom. Thou hast corrupted thy wisdom by reason of thy brightness. And he fell because he was not content in the beauty that God had given to him. He wanted more. The same thing with Adam and Eve. It was not because they were in a difficult situation, a hard situation. It was because they were in a beautiful situation, an uns uh, a situation with no sin, no pain, no sickness. When she saw that she was good for food, there was pleasant to the eyes and a tree to be desired to make one wise. And she fell. Solomon. We could add that. We don't, I don't have that on overhead. Solomon had pleasure to its max. But he fell. He fell. He violated God's commands for kings. It's interesting in Deuteronomy chapter 17, <clears throat> verses 16 and 17, it says that a king shall not multiply his horses, and he shall not multiply his wives, and he shall not multiply his silver and gold. Did he multiply them? He violated all three of those to the max. He multiplied his horses. He had 40,000 stalls of horses. 40,000. Tried spending the rest of the day making one uh, zero for each horse. How long would it take you to make 40,000? And he had 40,000 horses. Stalls. And I don't know if the stalls included more than one horse or if it was just each stall in uh, these different buildings. He multiplied his wives, right? You ever try to figure out how many times, how, how long he would have to be in, uh, on honeymoons if he went in a week with each wife and each concubine? He almost makes Hugh Hefner look like a Sunday school boy. He violated God's command to limit <coughs> the blessings. He multiplied his gold it was so much that silver wasn't even accounted for. And silver was not considered that uh, important. <clears throat> Pleasure has just as much potential to derail us spiritually as pain does. <clears throat> so overcoming idols is a messy process because there are corruptions with legitimate desires. There's nothing wrong with pleasure. 
God says that at thy right hand are pleasures forevermore. So there's nothing wrong with pleasure. But that's where it can get very messy because it's legitimate to want pleasure, to desire pleasure, and yet it can become the idols that derail us. Rabbi Zacharias says, Any pleasure that refreshes you without diminishing you, distracting you or sidetracking you from the ultimate goal is legitimate pleasure. Again, we'll talk about that a little bit more on Friday. So, idols of the heart. Um, Joseph enjoyed the Eden of being the favored son, but maybe should have been quiet as he tried to talk with his brothers about his favored position. Um, Idols appeal to us because they're good, delightful, desirable. And uh, again, um, quoting from Larry Crabb, he says, Our desires even for God, though, are so badly corrupted with self-centeredness that they cannot be purified by personal disciplines, religious activities, or enthusiastic singing. I don't know why you added that last one, but it can't be purified by those things because that desire has to give way to a new Lord in our life. And it's something deeper than um, the experiences that we have. So, idols come from our shalom experiences, our Edens, our times of ecstasy. Rachel believed that that her, uh, her idols were very important to her well-being, to her, her, um, uh, her joy. And so Rachel stole her father's idols because she believed it would be an advantage to her. And she had to violate God's moral, <clears throat> moral law in order to attain it. She had to steal. She had to... to um, and then later on to, to uh, lie about it. Rachel believed that barrenness was intolerable and so she was willing to violate what was right in order to get what she wanted. Uh, the household gods were somehow connected, at least some people feel, were connected to their fertility uh, as, a, as a wife. And so <clears throat> she was willing to violate what, she, what was right in order to get what she wanted. That's what we often run into. At least Elisa uh, Fitzpatrick says, Rachel was an idolater because her desire for children was her foremost desire. And she said that, or she expressed that by saying, give me children or else I die. Death to her was more important. I mean, children to her was more important than life. And so she had made an idol out of having children. And that's the cry of an idolater. And it's ironic that she gave up her life for her idol, in a sense. Um, so, what are the characteristics of idolatry? And that's my desire as we talk about this today, is that we're not just talking about theory or ideas back there that were in the Scripture, but what is what are the characteristics of our idolatry? Judy said that it's, you know, she kind of brought it into our world. What are some characteristics of it? Let's just have some feedback here. Characteristics of idolatry in our world today. Your world. The mental world, as it were. 
can't distract our minds from it. Constantly thinking about it. Okay? What are some more characteristics of idolatry in our world? What are we talking about? Can't distract our minds from it. It's what we talk about. What else? Okay. <clears throat> more important, <clears throat> more important than God in our lives. Um, so, what does it supplement, or what does it push out? Um, what, what are the things that push out God for their entrance, or for their, uh, for them to be in our life? Anybody want? Let's get as practical as you dare to. Okay. Work. Work. Money, popularity. popularity. Something that's more important than. Okay, okay. Pride. Pride. What was that? Food. Something <coughs> about food it just reminds me of <coughs> one of the reasons that. Uh, Many of the Thai people are, um, are. I think the reason that they have Buddha with a, an obese guy is because that looks like wealth to them, and and so Americans coming over there, they're really, you know, they must be wealthy over there because they all come over over yeah. overweight, uh, <clears throat> not all of them, but many, and so they they figure that it must be a wealthy land over there. They paint their their Buddha as being <coughs> overweight. Those are good thoughts. Um, let's just keep keep that in the back of our mind. An idol is not something that we usually engage with alone. We're in a culture that puts that that idol in front of us all the time. Yes, bear. Thank you for sharing that. It's a very practical uh, 
illustration in our culture and time today. Um, the whole idea, we're not going to be number two. We're going to be number one all the way across the world. Idolatry is something we usually engage with in a culture with other people. They have the idols too. And that's why it's so hard to detect. It becomes a community that does it together. And so because this person enjoys that particular thing, it must be okay. Nobody said it's not. And so I can get involved in it. And pretty soon we have, it's, you know, the, the entire country of Thailand worships their, their idol. They do it together. I think that's what we have to be careful with in our circles as menos. What do we worship unknowingly together? Now, maybe some of us will have individual idols, but many times it's a cultural mania. U.S. football, Thailand soccer, menos. I won't put it there. I'll let you work on that one. It's addictive. Our lives go back. You just ruined our volleyball this evening. It's addictive. Our lives default back to it when we have that extra time or we have that extra... um, money or whatever if you're willing to sin to obtain what you want you are an idolater we believe that disobedience is better than life without it just a few scriptures to kind of highlight this when life is going well take heed watch out you're not beyond temptation and that's what um, what God was saying to Israel. Take heed to yourselves that your heart be not deceived when, and ye turn aside and serve other gods and worship them. When are they supposed to take heed? It's when I give you rain in your land, the first rain and your corn, your wine, and your oil, and all this is growing, everything is going well, and so forth. That's when you need to take heed. It doesn't say take heed when you have a, uh, a drought and there's no rain and so forth. You take heed when it's all going well. Crops are growing. Isaiah, it says something very similar. Their land also is full of silver and gold. Neither is there any end of their treasures. Their land is also full of horses. Neither is there any end of their chariots. Their land also is full of idols. Full of silver and gold. Full of horses. Full of idols. They worship the work of their own hands, which that which their own fingers have made. I think it was one of the um, earlier American um, rich men. I'm thinking it might have been. Um, uh, no, I can't remember his name now. Um, who is asked uh, how many how many dollars do you need to make you satisfied, make you happy. And his answer was something like this, one more. One more. Just one more. You know, if I got this much, one more. 
And <clears throat> that's where a lot of us are at. Like life, uh, Lot's wife, we would like to have one more peek before we leave. And so she turned around and looked and and became, uh, or turned into a pillar of salt, the way it sounds. Uh, one little boy said, that's nothing. My mom turned around and looked and she ran into, or she be, ran into a uh, telephone pole. <clears throat> one more look at that central beauty. One more vacation before I begin ministry. One more purchase before I give that offering. One more barn before my retirement is secure. One more, one more, one more. We're on the road toward idolatry when we do that. So it reveals the idolatry we're sitting on. Um, The first commandment is that God said... I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make yourself an idol in any form of anything in heaven above or on earth beneath or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. And so he says, I am the Lord your God. Number one, mankind cannot find any joy in worshiping anything else. And secondly, he says, you brought... I'm the one who brought you out of slavery. And I'd like to just include this. Every other God enslaves us. Only the God of Scripture frees us. Every other God enslaves us. I'm wondering, are there any broken idols in your toy box? You remember your first car, guys? You know where it's at today? Some junkyard. Rusting away. Was that an idol? How much extra money did you throw into that? I remember I had these wide tires. I think well over, uh, you know, it was stylish. Jacked up the back end with these hydraulic uh, air pumps. So the back end would be a little higher. That thing is sitting in a junkyard someplace. I don't know where it's at. How many of our idols, uh, broken idols, are are in our toy box? Maybe it was our first boyfriend or girlfriend. It says, And your altar shall be desolate, your idols shall be broken. I will cast down your slain men before your idols. I will lay your dead carcasses of your children of Israel before their idols I'll scatter your bones and round about your altars when we're serving idols we'll find out down the road they're in the junkyard they're in the trash heap God hates idolatry I'll set my face against that man he says we're going to have to keep moving um It took a Babylonian captivity to cleanse Israel of their idolatry. It usually takes a significant crisis in our lives in order for us to see and extricate ourselves from an idol. God sets his face against that man. You know, here in America, we have um, we have idolized some of the uh, most pitiful things. And I don't, I'm not 
casting judgment on these particular individuals, but of the six men who earned the most money in um, athletics in America back about five or six years ago, those six men, Tiger Woods, Kobe Bryant, the Baron James, Drew Brees, Adrian Rogers, and Phil Mickelson, those, those six men together cost us Americans $350 million just to keep them happy. Nearly $350 million <clears throat> to, to take care of six men while our brothers in Haiti sing during times of famine so they can forget their hunger because they don't have any food for the next meal. You talk about idolatry? America is just as idolatrous as Thailand is. Three categories that um, are listed. We mentioned earlier. We're not going to get completely finished here today. <clears throat> we'll just stop at our uh, our time. In First John, he lists the <clears throat> the things of the world that we're not to love, and that's what idolatry really is. It's the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. <clears throat> Let's just look at those three things in from maybe. Uh, four different scriptures. We're going to use this one in First um, John as uh, as the beginning, the lust of the flesh, as you see there on the left hand side. Now, there's other places in scripture that underscore this same thing. In um, um, back at the uh, the time of, well, let's go to Ephesians chapter five. It says, "For of this you can be sure: no greedy person, no." No immoral, no impure, nor greedy person, such as such a man as an idolater, will have inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. So it names those three things: an immoral person, an impure person, or a greedy person. I'm going to use the word greedy in this particular context: lust of the flesh, greedy person. In Ephesians, or actually in um, um, when Eve was tempted there in the garden. It's one of the things it says about the temptation was that it was good for food. It was good for food. It was a lust of the flesh. There was something that was good for food. If we look at that warning that the that God gave to the kings, one of the things that they were not to multiply was silver and gold. I think all of these are, are talking about this area of the lust of the flesh. It's good for food. It's uh, silver and gold. It's those possessions that we can gather around us to give us a sense of security, a sense of popularity and impact, and I have more uh, ability to run my world because I've got uh, good things going for me. Those are the things that can create our idols. The second one is the lust of the eyes. We live in a culture, a pornographic culture. Young men, you know, how when you walk down the streets of America, we're walking through pornography most of the time. The, um, uh, our whole culture has fallen to the place where we have less clothing, outward clothing, than what our grandparents had as inner clothing. Uh, it's just we, we're faced with that. We have 
lust of the eyes that's, that's become a part of, of this culture. It's the, uh, back in Ephesians chapter 5, it talks about the immoral person being one of the three things. The greedy person and the immoral person. Um, the temptation of Eve was it was pleasant to the eyes. And it's attractive to, it's captivating to the eyes uh, that uh, in the immorality that we have and the immodesty that we have around. In the warning to the kings in Deuteronomy 17, it was don't multiply your wives. Because there was sensuality that was involved with that. Um, having many wives. Jezebel's idolatry was extremely licentious. Um, I don't have time to go through that, <clears throat> that, but we need as families, as young people, to be very, very careful what you watch in movies because it's in those settings where we often allow what we would never allow to happen in our household within the four walls of our house. But we'll watch it and and allow it to be a, something that our, our minds... You know, I, I ask some of the young people who come to... Uh, I go, what movies do you watch? And they write down... Uh, I don't even know some of these. The North Pole, North and South, uh, Pride and Prejudice, Gladiators, The Next Three Days... Ladder 49, Rambo, Behind Enemy Lines, The Night with the King. King. It named a whole bunch of them. And I probably only was told about the mediocre ones. They probably didn't write down the ones that uh, they knew. They knew, ah, I better not put that one down. They won't even let me come to Igo. Um, so I probably got the mediocre ones and I don't know much about any of these I've seen a couple of them but I'm just bothered by the immorality and the immodesty that is in even those and it becomes common for us lust of the eyes it's a part of our culture so called Christian actors that are filled with uh, that are involved in in um, Films that have immodesty, foul language, violence, and so forth, and yet they're called Christian actors. The third area is the pride of life. <clears throat> the pride of life. The impurity of pride. I might be stretching that a little bit in Ephesians chapter five, verse five. It talks. The third one is the uh, greedy person. The the um, um, immoral person and the impure person. <clears throat> the impure person, fitting that into this area of pride of life. Um, temptation for Eve was to make one wise. That was part of the temptation that Satan gave to her. The warning to the kings was don't multiply your horses. The multiplying power. You know, Nebuchadnezzar had a, as somebody said, had a 90 foot ego. It wasn't just an idol. It was an ego trip that he was on. Um, Is not this great Babylon that I built for thy house and the kingdom of thy mighty power and the honor of my majesty? And you know what happened to him. Those who walk in pride, he's able to abase. And 
arrogance assumes that blessings and gifts that I'm receiving equals uh, superior status. And the deceptions that come with that are being popular brings security or bigger is better. What I do is my business and I want to be the best. These idols develop out of what we do well in and what we're, where we succeed. You get what you want. Being directed in life by what other people think of you is the main thing. So, pride is an imp of our soul that rejoices when the cocky or the arrogant or the expert blows it. You know, the guy who's just a little bit in front of us, when he blows it, ah, oh, great. You know, he just feels so good. And he blew it. He lost. That's idolatry. That's idolatry. Pride hinders us from seeing ourselves the way that God sees us and the way that others see us. So asking for our blind spots, asking those around us, where am I failing in this area? We're going to have